Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about a couple of different things, but the main thing is do we, and I'm using air quotes here and you can't tell, do we label our kids with anxiety or OCD or do we not? So telling them that, Hey, you have an anxiety disorder or Hey, you have OCD and that stands for obsessive compulsive disorder. So telling our kids their clinical diagnoses, or do we not, do we just tell them, Hey, you're, you know, you're a little bit anxious or Hey, you know, you have some upsetting thoughts or some bad thoughts. And sometimes you have to do things, you have tics or habits. Should we use euphemisms or should we use real words? And the other question I want to explore today, which kind of goes along with this, or at least I see this from the same parents that have the same question about labeling is I don't want my child to read any books about this. So if I do say yes, okay, we can, we can give them a clinical diagnosis or we can inform them of their clinical diagnosis then I don't want to have them read kids' books or watch shows that explain anxiety or OCD because I don't want them to get any new ideas. I don't want them to get any new themes. And so I want to talk about both of those things because I do see them as a pair. And I think that they're really, really important to go over. And I don't know why I've never talked about this before. Maybe I have. This is my 191st episode. (laughs) 191. So it's possible I've covered this before and I just can't find it and I can't even remember it, but I think it's a really, really important topic for you. If you have a child who has anxiety or OCD in how you're going to approach it. Okay. So I'm going to get into the pros and cons of both, but before we dive in, I just want to make sure that you're following me on Instagram you know, a lot of people are not following me on Instagram and I do a lot of stuff on there too. That is totally different than what I do on YouTube and on my podcast and on my website. So follow me at AT Parenting Survival so I can see you over there and know that you're seeing me over there. And I want to dive into this topic so that we have plenty of time to talk about it. So as far as diagnoses, a lot of times parents are worried about these things. I'm going to go over the cons and then we'll go over what I think are the pros. So some of the things that I hear parents say are, you know, I don't want my child to think there's anything wrong with them. I don't want them to feel like there's something wrong with their brain or that they're different or they're, they're not perfect. Or I'm trying to think of the other language that I hear. So that's the first reason I don't want my child to feel bad. I don't want them to feel like there's something wrong with them. And I see this especially, but not exclusively with kids who maybe already have some diagnoses. Maybe they already have been diagnosed with anxiety and we don't want to tell them about the OCD, or maybe they have dyslexia or they have uh, a medical issue like celiac disease, or maybe they have ADHD, or maybe they have nothing and just really uncomfortable with that. And I do see that sometimes this can be a cultural issue. Like there's a lot of shame or guilt around mental health. Sometimes it can be divided among men and women, depending on the dynamics. So sometimes I see one partner is okay with, you know, telling the child the diagnosis and the other partner has sometimes a pride issue. Like I don't want something to be wrong, quote unquote, with my offspring. And to say it out loud, it makes it real to say to my child, Hey, you have this disorder. 
makes it feel real, not only to them, but to me. And then I, now I have to deal with it because I've just put it out there. And now I'm going to have to deal with questions that my child's going to have. And I just made it more real than I feel like it needed to be. So that's something I hear too. I'm just telling you all the things that I hear. The other things that I hear are, I don't want other people to view my child as different. I don't want them to treat my child differently, or I don't want them to be in our business. It's our private stuff. I don't want them to do that. Or I don't want my child to go around saying, Hey, I have OCD or, Hey, I have an anxiety disorder. And so there's some, sometimes there's some embarrassment or shame around that. Sometimes there's a protective thing. Like I don't want people to treat them differently. And I don't know what people will say to them if they go around saying that, or, you know, if they acknowledge that to other people. Okay. So that's a lot of cons. Those are the main cons. And I want to kind of go through them so that we can, we can kind of explore each one. First, we have to check in with our own understanding and our, where, where we sit with mental health. And sometimes as we raise our children, we bring our own baggage and we might have had relatives with mental health issues. We might have our own mental health issues. And so some of our decisions to not have our children know that they have a diagnosis comes from our own baggage, which like most of our parenting stuff, you know, how we parent a lot of times is dictated by how we were parented and our own personal experiences. And we really want to try to be as aware of that as possible so that it's not impacting our parenting in a negative way. So if I am worried, you know, let's say I grew up with OCD and now I'm like, I don't want my child to have OCD. And so I'm not going to tell them they have OCD because I'm in denial. Or let's say I have OCD or people tell me I have OCD, but I haven't wanted to deal with my own stuff. Then I want to maybe have my child cope in the same way that I'm coping. And a lot of times I'll hear this from parents who have OCD who are not wanting to really roll up their sleeves and work on it in a, in a really productive way. They'll say things to me like, you know, I have OCD and I'm doing just fine. And I didn't get any therapy and I didn't know I had OCD. And so he'll be fine too, or she'll be fine too. And it's the wrong way to look at things actually. And I'll tell you why. So the pros, which are going to weave into why the cons are not strong enough to outweigh the pros. For starters, stigma starts at home. So when we perpetuate and actually initiate the stigma by not telling our child you have OCD or you have anxiety, you don't have to say disorder. You don't have to say anxiety disorder. Kids with OCD will eventually say, what does that stand for? And the D is disorder. So you can't get away from that. But when we say you have anxiety or you have OCD, that's acknowledging it for ourselves. It's showing our kids that there's nothing to be ashamed of to have anxiety and OCD. In fact, a big part of society has anxiety and OCD. And one of the first things that we do for our kids is normalize it. And we say, you are not alone. This is super common. In fact, it is as common as juvenile diabetes. So if you know a kid who has diabetes, that's just as, a, as common as someone who has anxiety or OCD. Actually, I think anxiety is probably, although I don't know the research on this, but I would think anxiety is actually more common than juvenile diabetes, but I don't have research in front of me, so don't quote me on that one. But I did read that it was as common as OCD and OCD is is not as common as anxiety. So we can deduce perhaps that what I'm saying is accurate, (laughs) but whatever, this is not a research podcast. This is about how to help your kids. So 
when we don't tell them these words and they eventually find out because anxiety and OCD don't go away. And I mean, they're genetically rampant in my family. I have three kids with anxiety and OCD. I have anxiety. My husband has anxiety in his family. I have anxiety and OCD in my family. It just is part of the genetic tree. And even if you can't find where on that genetic tree it's coming from, somebody has been undiagnosed probably somewhere because it's highly genetic. And left untreated, there is a huge possibility that it can get worse over time. Yes, there are those situations where people quote unquote outgrew it. They learn to adapt and they learn to function and it's not impeding their their development. And that's amazing. But there are also plenty of people who are on a downward slope and it starts in childhood and it picks up speed and it gets worse by adulthood. And there are people who are severely debilitated by anxiety and OCD. So you can't use your own experience if you have anxiety or OCD to say, this is what's going to happen for my child because genetics doesn't work that way. You can have three people in your family who have heart disease and some, you know, have mild issues and some have major issues. You can't, you can't base your experience on how your child's experience is going to be. And just the fact, just the very notion that it's something they're going to have to deal with and it's something they're going to have to learn how to approach. It's something that's going to be part of their life is why it's so important that we let them know about that because it's very hard to build skills when we're not allowed to say you have OCD. When I have to use euphemisms or say you have worries and OCD is even harder because we have some vernaculars in society to talk about anxiety. I can say when you're scared or your worries, OCD, there's not a lot of euphemisms for that. People do use some and it's it's so vastly inaccurate that it actually does more harm than good for anxiety to say, Hey, you have worries. I'll go into why I still don't think that's good, but it's easier than with OCD. Cause with OCD, a lot of times they'll say your quirks or your tics or your habits. And that really devalues the impact and the struggle that people have with OCD. It devalues the fact that it's not a quirk. A quirk is something that you choose and that you maybe you even embrace. It's not a tick. Uh, a tick and a compulsion are completely different. So we're just completely mislabeling it and understanding what a tick is and how you approach a tick is completely different than a compulsion. And saying it's a habit is saying that this child likes it, you know, and that we all have habits, you know, and sometimes we break those habits and it's maybe a little challenging, but not like a compulsion. And so for all of those reasons, I really cringe when I hear parents using those those words because it can really harm the child or the adult who has OCD. So using those, we're going to call them euphemisms, but it's probably like not an accurate word, isn't, isn't very helpful. So that is why we really want them to understand that they have anxiety. They have an anxiety disorder or they have OCD. When we go go back to anxiety, when we, when we sugarcoat it and we say, you have worries, that overnormalizes it because having anxiety and growing up with anxiety myself, if somebody said, you know, we all have worries. No, you probably don't. <laughs> Not like I do. You probably don't worry that you're going to get stabbed to death when you go to bed. You probably don't worry that there's sharks in your pool. And so you can't swim. You probably don't worry that there's somebody like hovering over you in the dark. You probably don't worry about those things to the level that I do because the anxiety and anxiety disorder is very creative and it's constant and 
to minimize it and say you have worries confuses the child because we all have worries, but we don't all have anxiety. We all panic, but we all don't have panic attacks. So we want to help validate our child's struggles and not make them feel like, man, you know, everybody has worries. I hear people saying this all the time. You know, I'm worried about this or she's worried about that. And why can't I function? Why is it hard for me to go to school? Why do I worry so much that I can't sleep in my own bed or I can't do this thing? So sometimes we can minimize too far by using these type of words. Okay. I think I got my point, right? You get what I'm saying. And and the first thing that I do as an anxiety and OCD child therapist is I educate. That's my first number one step with a child with anxiety or OCD is, Hey, you're not alone. You're not crazy. This is what it is. And this is how we fix it. It's highly fixable. Uh, And that's why I get on my soapbox a lot because it is highly fixable. I can train your brain or I can train you to train your brain to work through these things. There is something called neuroplasticity where you can really literally rewire your brain by changing your behaviors. And how do I get a child to do that if I can't explain to them what anxiety is or what OCD is? And so education is a huge part of treatment. In fact, it's so big that often I see a huge spike in improvement between the first and second session of telling them what anxiety or OCD is, because that educational piece brings a lot of calm to a child for OCD. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, these, these behaviors I've been doing, they're like making this problem worse, not better because OCD will lie to you and say, if you can just do that one more time, you know, you're going to feel so much better. Just do it one more time. You're going to feel so much better. Okay. I lied. Just do it one more time. And once they realize how OCD works, that it gives you an intrusive thought, feeling, or image, or song that gets stuck in your head, and you have to do something or avoid something to get some brief relief, but the more you do it, and the more you avoid or avoid, the bigger it grows. I see light bulbs going off for kids. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. It doesn't mean they're going to change their behavior right away, but they are more on board, or at least more educated than they were before. And the other thing is when we're talking about OCD and some anxiety issues, there are some themes that are embarrassing. So with moral OCD, I feel like I'm a bad person. I feel like I might want to say something mean to you. Uh, It presents in different ways for different kids, but the overall feeling is, oh my gosh, what if I'm a really bad person? Why am I having these thoughts? And so to say to a child, I've heard all these thoughts before, and you don't need to be embarrassed because they're common. And there's a name for what you're going through. And it's called OCD. The relief that I see on a kid's face is unbelievable. And it sells the reason to me on why to tell someone they have OCD in and of itself. Just the reaction that I always see when a child's been suffering long-term, not knowing what's wrong with them. And then you tell them, or they watch a YouTube video. I have a lot of kid and teen YouTube videos that says exactly how they're feeling. It's eye-opening. So education is a big part of treatment. So we need that. It also helps normalize it. There's a lot of stigma around mental health and we don't want to be part of that with our kids. So when we hold back and they eventually find out and they will because anxiety disorders and OCD are lifelong conditions, they are highly managed and you can have it and not have the discomfort and the instability that it can cause in your life but it is still a lifelong condition. 
I have anxiety, but anxiety doesn't have me. That doesn't mean I don't get upsetting thoughts, but I know what to do with them. My kids can have intrusive thoughts, but they're learning what to do with them. But it's not a cold. It's not going to get treated and then it's going to go away. It doesn't work that way. And so the sooner we can normalize things, the better, because your child's eventually going to figure out as they get older, I have OCD and I've seen teenagers get really upset at their parents. Why didn't you call it OCD? Or why didn't you tell me I had OCD? Or why didn't you tell me I had an anxiety disorder? For anxiety, you don't have to use the word disorder, but I always like to clarify, there are worries and everybody worries. And then there's anxiety and anxiety or having an anxiety disorder, depending on how old they are. I I don't say that to younger kids, but having anxiety, I like kids to know that word. I have five-year-olds that I work with in my practice. They know the word anxiety because I want them to know big girl and big boy words so that when they get older, they're not lost. It's a, a continuum of treatment and a continuum of knowledge where, you know, at five, they know what anxiety is. And at 10 and at 20, they know what anxiety is. Or at OCD, I know what an intrusive thought is when I'm seven, because my good therapist taught me. And then when I'm 25 and I'm talking to my therapist and I talk about intrusive thoughts, I have the same language. So that's a big part of the reason. But then they swing back and they say, why didn't my parents tell me? You were embarrassed, right? Why are you embarrassed? And so you're setting the stage for guilt and shame and embarrassment. And then you might say, don't tell your aunt, blah, 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 or don't tell grandma. And we're really starting to stigmatize our own kids. And we don't want that. That's not a good message. I always tell kids that everybody has issues, that they are no different. Some kids have diabetes. Some kids have asthma. You know, some kids are allergic to peanuts and you have anxiety or you have OCD. And the good news about that is we can do something about it. And I can teach you how to train your brain to work through these struggles so that you can not have it bother you as much anymore. So people with diabetes, they can't train their pancreas to metabolize sugar better, but you can train your brain. So that's pretty incredible. And then I also go into the superpowers of what I think anxiety and OCD bring to the table that a lot of people with anxiety and OCD have also some similar positive traits that I see vastly across the board. There are your outliers, but a lot of kids with anxiety and OCD also have these factors. I always sprinkle that into my sessions when I'm teaching a child what anxiety is or what OCD is. I talk about the other good things too. I make sure to do that. I have a kid's YouTube video on the superpowers of anxiety. I need to make one for OCD as well, but you can share with them that kids who have OCD are out of the box thinkers. And that's just kind of part of the OCD. Like that's part of what's bad, but it's also part of what's really good. They are creative. They are coming up with new ideas. My son who has OCD, I had a parent-teacher conference with three of his teachers. And they were saying, he just always, you know, he always teaches us something. He has always a different way of looking at things. And that's actually a common trait for kids with OCD. Also, a lot of them are highly intelligent and a lot of them are highly empathetic and kind-hearted. And so when you tell a child this and you highlight the traits that they actually do have, they light up and they're like, you're right. I have those things. <laughs> they may not say that, but they feel it. And so there, there's not the stigma of, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with me. It's like you have anxiety and these are the positive things that come with anxiety. And these are the, the, the tricky parts of anxiety. We can fix the tricky parts and keep the good parts. So a lot of it is in your delivery and how you talk about it. So I will link the YouTube video that I'm talking about so that you can show that to your child. If you're going to have a conversation with them, let's see. Okay. So I think those were my big pros and cons for labeling. I don't want to go dive too deep into the rabbit hole, but I hope I touched on most of them for you. So the moving on from there, 
And that way, I just want to say one more thing. You also really tie your arms behind your back when you don't give your child the true word of what they have, because they can't read books about anxiety or OCD, or you may not want to give it to them, which really holds them back because that's such a big part of treatment. And when I say treatment, I'm not saying with a therapist necessarily, I'm talking about at home. I talk a lot about providing a therapeutic home environment. And a big part of what that is for you parentally is to educate yourself and educate your child on what anxiety and OCD are, you know, that depending on if they have both or just one, that's really important for, for them to understand. If your child has anxiety and OCD, I don't like to present it as two different disorders. I just say they're cousins. They hang out together. They normally come together. That's just how they work, but they show up a little bit differently. Anxiety is going to just tell you, Oh gosh, what if, and make you want to avoid everything. And OCD's bossy. It'll be like, you know what? I know how you can fix this problem. Just tap two times. Every time you have that thought, you're going to be okay. And it can be vastly different for everyone with OCD. OCD shows up in very different ways. And that's going to be part of what I'm going to talk about when it comes to reading kids books or watching videos on anxiety or OCD. Okay. So those are the pros and cons as far as telling your child. And if your child doesn't have a professional diagnosis, but it is clear as day that they have anxiety or OCD, I still feel like it's okay to tell your child. You don't need a professional to give you like, to grant you permission to say, Hey, you have OCD. You can take a Cybox. Uh, It's online. That's an assessment for OCD. I will link that in the show notes. If I remember, hopefully. And you can take that. That's what I give parents in my practice and score it and see like how high is your child. But OCD is one of those things where it's really not rocket science. It presents in such a very unique way that you're probably going to have a good inkling that your child has OCD if you read anything about it. Anxiety too. If you have anxiety, you know what it looks like. Or if you've read about anxiety, you're going to know your child's anxious. It's not going to hurt them to say you have anxiety the the worst thing that can happen is they're going to learn skills on how to overcome their fears. And then it doesn't mean that they, are they meeting the DSM criteria for anxiety or are they meeting the DSM criteria for OCD? Are, are they at the clinical level to get a proper diagnosis? That doesn't matter. What matters is that you have a window of time. You have a window of time to really proactively roll up your sleeves and help your child. And I've watched this time and time again in my practice. I've watched parents who have proactively rolled up their sleeves, told their child what they have, didn't need me to give the blessing or the permission, and they started to educate their child. They read books. The parents educated themselves. They came into my practice and I educated them. Or if they're online, they took one of my online classes and they, you know, they learned all about anxiety or they took my online class on how to teach kids to crush OCD and they learned about OCD. And they started to build skills because the more proactive you are in helping your child, the better the long-term prognosis. But then I've watched other parents who will come in for only a parent-only session and they will meet with me and they'll be very nervous. I don't want you to tell him he has OCD. You know, are you sure this is OCD? Well, you know, he has this intrusive thought and he has to like say these exact words and then he has to wash his hands, you know, probably 50 to 60 times every few hours. And, you know, it's like they're describing like obvious OCD behavior. But maybe it's just because he's like a little stressed or maybe it's because, you know, his dog died and they just don't want to see it. They don't want to see it. And so they don't come back. And nine times out of 10, I see them later. Sometimes I've been in private practice for 20 years. Can you believe that? I feel super old. I see them come back maybe five years later. Hey, you don't, you, maybe you don't remember me, but we met you once and I'll look at my portal. I'll be like, do I even know these people? And 
depending on how long it had been, I might have to look at my other portal, you know, which goes way farther back or go into my files. And then I'll be like, oh, they saw me one time. And now five years later, the child is doing 10 times worse and they're in an emergency. They're in a crisis mode. They need help right away. They have to get them in right away. And I'm like, gosh, if I could have worked with him five years ago, or if they could have even worked with him five years ago, what would this have looked like? Not to say that he wouldn't have had problems, but he would have been so much better equipped to handle them, right? So that's why these things are so important. So we really want to educate our kids on what anxiety is or what OCD is for a couple of different reasons. And actually, I'm not going to go into them. I'm going to just talk about the cons first. So the cons about having kids read books or watch videos is they're going to catch new themes. I hear this all the time in my practice because one of the first things I do, whether you're in my private practice or you're in my AT parenting community, which is an online community, is parents will kind of jump in and they'll be like, Natasha, this is my kid's problem. What should I do? What exposure should I do? Or what challenges should I do? If you don't know what ERP is, that's exposure response prevention. That is the gold standard approach for OCD and also it's very, very effective for anxiety. And those are the kind of things that you're going to need to know as a parent, right? You're going to need to know, like, what's the gold standard of treatment? How do, how do I do that? How do I find a therapist who does that? How do I support that at home? So when people say that, my response is, whoa, whoa, whoa. Does your child know what anxiety or OCD is? Number one, education first. Have they read any books? Have they watched any YouTube videos? Have they watched any videos? And then the second thing is, have you explained what ERP is? Do you know what it is? Have you studied anxiety and OCD? Do you understand all the themes and how to do it? And most of the time, the answer is no. No, I just, I see a problem. You know, my child is doing these compulsions and I want it to stop. It's making me nervous. I don't want it to get bigger. And so tell me what what I should do. Tell me what exposures. And it doesn't work that way because if anyone has listened to me before, they've heard me say this a zillion times, but I'll say it a zillion and one. You're not in the driver's seat. (laughs) I'm just like so predictable. You're in the passenger seat. Your child is driving. And even if you wanted to grab that wheel and, you know, put your foot on the gas, that's not going to last long. You're going to crash because nobody can drive like that. So regardless of whether we want to fix this or not for our kids, our kids are the only people that'll be able to make this better for themselves, which means we have to empower them to help themselves. And that starts with education. And it starts with letting them know how it works. Because if they don't, they're going to think that all the things that anxiety or OCD is telling them to do is true, that OCD is protecting them, or that if they could just do these things or just avoid these things, their distress will go away. And so they have to be taught this counterintuitive approach of when you go towards your fears for anxiety, or when you sit with discomfort for anxiety and OCD, you actually make anxiety or OCD smaller. And they have to learn these counterintuitive things as much as you do. So the first thing I normally say to people is, here are my favorite books on anxiety or OCD. Read them. And they're different depending on if the child has anxiety or OCD. If the child has OCD, if they have both. So if you have OCD, you have anxiety. I, they're almost like two peas in a pod. You can't separate them out. But it doesn't mean that you have, like if you have anxiety, it doesn't mean you have OCD. So I approach those differently. And if I have a child who has OCD, I want to educate them on OCD first because it's the it is much more counterintuitive in how it works and how you approach it than anxiety. And so I always like to educate about OCD first if there's both of them there for the parent and for the child. So I will suggest books and then I will get 
complaints from the parents. I don't want them to catch new themes. I don't want them to read about other kids because they're going to get new ideas. And if they get new ideas, they're going to copy it. Or they might say, I don't want them to, to be a copycat if they read this, which is kind of the same thing as what I just said. But it depends on like the tone of it. Sometimes it's they're just going to get new ideas. Sometimes it's kind of like they're attention seeking and they might just pick up this other thing. Or I don't want it to be like suggestive. And so if you talk about something, I don't want them to get a new idea. I'll have parents in my therapy practice who will even in the parent-only session tell me, I don't want you to ever give examples of other themes because I don't want my child to get any new ideas. And this is the completely wrong way to look at it. And I'll tell you why. You don't want to ever tiptoe around anxiety or OCD for starters, because you don't want anxiety and OCD to be in charge. You're in charge. And so when you start playing by their rules and being afraid of it, you've already lost part of the battle. Secondly, kids can pick up a theme from anywhere. They could be watching TV and then a trailer comes on and now boom, they have a new worry. They have a new theme. A kid could say something to them or a teacher could say something to them. And all of a sudden OCD is like, what? That means what? And now boom, they've got that new theme. Literally, it can happen anywhere in any environment that anxiety or OCD wants to glum onto. And, and anxiety and OCD is always looking for new ideas on how to, you know, upset your child because <laughs> that's what it does. So to think that you can cocoon and bubble your child and protect them from any anxiety or OCD theme is, it's inane. It's impossible. And it's ridiculous because you'll see as your child grows older, you'll be like, how did they get that theme? And a lot of times people do the blame game and they'll be like, this is your fault because you brought that thing up. Why did you say that to him? Now he's worried about that. Well, we can't live like that. Yes, we don't have to trigger our kids, you know, make them watch horror movies or tell them about scary things that are happening on the news. But my kids, like I remember, um, what was that cartoon? Man, I have a terrible memory. I mean, my kids, like there were like Dora episodes that freaked them out. Like it was, they would watch the most babyish cartoon that a three-year-old could watch and there could be a theme in there. It was the water ones. Oh, Aquanauts. Aquanauts was really scary for my kids. They're like all those like ocean creatures. That's the most kid-friendly show, you know. But if you have anxiety, you're, you can be anxious about anything. So we don't want to live in this bubble where nobody's allowed to talk about anything and nobody's allowed to say anything because it's not realistic and it's not helpful. They can literally read anything or see anything. And anxiety or OCD at any time can just be like, boom, I like that. That's my new theme. That's one thing. The other pro is, well, a lot, actually all of the other pros that I'm actually going to list are why it's so good for them to read books. So will they, will they catch a new theme? Yes, it is possible. It's not impossible, but what I like to tell parents and what I've seen in my practice and with my own kids is if that theme was a possibility in their brain, then it's going to pop up no matter what. So if my child was going to have an issue with germs at some point and they read an OCD book about germs and maybe they don't have that theme yet, then yeah, they might get that theme. But OCD is, it's a whole disorder. It's not, um, I, my child only has moral OCD. So I don't want them to catch contamination issues or I don't want them to catch symmetry issues. I don't even want them to hear about it because if they get that idea, now they're going to have 20 OCD themes. It doesn't work that way. If my brain is geared up to possibly have some symmetry OCD and then I read about it, yeah, 
I might, I might start having that theme, but I'm going to have that theme anyway, probably eventually it might just come on its own or somebody might say something and then that might prompt it. And so my point is that it could be inevitable anyway. And I'll get into the pros and they're different as far as why it's so good for them to read these books. But I just want to hash out the bad first. Uh, A lot of times, more often than not, kids will find the other themes ridiculous. In fact, a lot of times when I'm trying to explain something to a child, I'm trying to teach them an approach and I'm trying to say, you know, this is how we're going to approach your intrusive thought. I don't want to use their intrusive thought because they start to like kind of go down that rabbit hole. And they're not hearing the the methodology or they're not hearing the, the, the skill that I'm trying to build because they're caught up in, oh my gosh, she's talking about germs and I hope she doesn't make me touch that. I don't want to touch that. And here I am trying to teach them about like why we're going to do this exposure and I'm losing them. And so I will use other people's themes and I'll say something like some people find blah, 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 you know, upsetting. And more often than not, the child will say, well, that's ridiculous. Who would be afraid of that? Who'd be afraid of sharks in the water or, you know, sharks in a pool. And I'm, and I'm like, yeah, well, you know, some people have that issue and they would be like, Hey, why would you be afraid of germs? So everybody has a different flavor of anxiety or different flavor of OCD. So I explained that there's many different flavors, but it's all ice cream, right? That's how I talk to kids. There's going to be 31 flavors of ice cream. You're going to have some of those ice cream flavors on your cone and they're going to change over time. You might have bubble gum, but then you might have like chocolate mint. It doesn't matter. It's all ice cream. I'm going to teach you how to get rid of that ice cream. Well, that's a bad analogy now. (laughs) How to get rid of ice cream. I got to work on that one. How to eat it. No, that sounds bad too. So whatever. But my point is we're going to replace one for the other. And so we don't want to get hung up and we don't want to communicate that to our kids where they only have moral OCD or they only have social anxiety. Anxiety is anxiety. It just shows up in different ways. OCD is OCD and it just shows up in different ways, vastly different ways that are going to be um, missed if you don't know all the different ways OCD can show up in particular. So when a child reads a book, they are feeling validated. They feel like they're not alone. It feels like home because it's like, oh my gosh, they're talking about me. I have this. I can't tell you how many parents will post in my Facebook groups or in the AT parenting community or my practice. And they'll say, I had my child watch that YouTube video that you made. And they said, oh my gosh, mom, she's talking about me or mom, I have that. And the aha and the relief that that child has is palpable. I can't even say that word, palpable. There we go. So kids like to feel validated, don't you? When you like find like, hey, you like the same sports team, which is a totally weird example because I'm not into sports. But if like, I'm trying to think of something. Hey, you like that band, which I'm not really into music as much either. So that's not really good. But hey, you do ERP, so do I. <laughs> you, know? you don't feel as alone. So the the validation of watching a YouTube video or reading a book is really, really good. The other thing that I would say is I'm training kids to be their own anxiety or OCD therapist. And I tell them that when I first meet them, even little kids, I'll say, I'm going to train you to be like the best anxiety or OCD therapist. I pick whichever one I'm dealing with, with them so that you can do this for yourself. So when you're 25, boom, you know how to do this. And part of that is I want them to be able to understand how anxiety or OCD can show up in many different ways. That doesn't mean I'm going to go 
and have them go back to graduate, well, not go back, but I'm not going to have them go to graduate school and learn all the different many ways, all the subtypes of OCD or all the different classifications of anxiety disorders they can have. But reading a children's book, like what to do when you worry too much for anxiety or practice being brave for OCD or outsmarting worry for anxiety or OCD. There's a lot of good ones. Um, Those are for the little people or reading the workbook for teens with OCD or stuff that's loud for OCD. Uh, There's, there's tons of good ones. Everything's an emergency for teenagers for OCD. There are plenty of really good books. And actually I will, I will link them all in the show notes. The ones that I recommend what to do when your brain gets stuck is another good one. Don Hebner writes a lot of really good books. So you want to weave those ideas in, in a story, whether it's for a teenager or whether it's for a child, like a, a younger child. And those themes are throughout those books. And that is for a reason. One, we want to hit that theme so that child can be like, that's me. But also I want you to know about all the different ways that it can show up so that when it does show up and it's whack-a-mole, and so the likelihood of it showing up in a different way is very high. And I want my child to be able to spot it and that's part of the training and it's part of the treatment of helping a child with anxiety or OCD, that they can spot new themes themselves because you're not going to always see it. A lot of this stuff is covert. It's in their head and symmetry OCD is almost always missed. I mean, I catch it because I have like an eye for symmetry OCD. I can see it a mile away, but most parents, when I say, oh, and she's got some symmetry OCD, they'll be like, what? Really? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. It's something that you wouldn't even notice. We want our kids and we want you to really understand all these themes and not get stuck on, I have this one theme or I have moral OCD. So I don't have to know about anything else and you don't have to know about anything else. So reading those books can really help. And the other thing, and probably the most important thing really, is that these books teach them how to build these skills. The best way to teach a child skills for anxiety or OCD is partly through through these books and through videos. So before I do ERP with any child, I always recommend that the family watch Unstuck, an OCD kids movie. And partly why I do that is it's really validating. It's so nice for these kids to watch other kids of all different ages, having all different types of OCD, working on it and doing ERP, doing exposures and getting better and hearing this from the kids so that it's not some adult or some therapist or some parent who's just like, you're going to get better. You just have to do this really, really hard thing. It's like, let the kids talk to you about it. That helps. It's very normalizing. The other reason why I like them to watch Unstuck before I do ERP is I want them to know what this is. ERP can be kind of a weird treatment approach, but it's highly effective, especially when the child's on board. And that's a big component of ERP. Like I have to work on education and motivation for that child so that it really has some bang for its buck because you can't really force a child to to do ERP. And if you are forcing them, maybe you're threatening them. It's not really going to be effective. They have to understand it. And they're not going to want to sit here and have me talk about it in a dry, boring sort of way. It's much more entertaining for them to watch this documentary, Unstuck, an OCD kids movie, and listen to these kids talking and talking about ERP in a way that's captivating and interesting. I've never heard a kid say that was such a boring documentary um, because it's so related to what they're going through. Books as well, they'll they'll talk about ERP in a way that is kid-friendly through a story so that they'll learn it 
It will normalize it. And they're ready to go for therapy. So you're really sabotaging therapy. If you don't allow your child to read these books, that's my opinion. And yes, they might, they might have a couple of new themes after they're done. And you might be like, Oh my gosh, Natasha, look now she's dealing with this. You know what? She was probably going to deal with that anyway. And so it's ripping that bandaid off and, you know, not letting anything hide. We don't want that iceberg to look so tiny on the top of the ocean, but there's this huge thing underneath just waiting to emerge. I rather see the full thing, deal with the full thing, not be afraid of it. And it will be whack-a-mole as you progress and OCD will pick up new themes as you're making progress and it's on the run. So picking up new themes is just part of moving through treatment. And we can't avoid it and you can't avoid it by not having them read books. The other thing that I do is I make kids YouTube videos on different themes and different topics, because if a child can hear their theme being talked about, that's very normalizing and helpful for them. And a lot of times when I look at the YouTube comments, it's, it's tons of comments of, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one. I can't believe you have this problem too. Now, sometimes my videos, I might, if I'm doing a general video, I might say stuff like, let's see, I have one that is, I have a lot of general videos where they're, they're general messages that I want to convey to anybody who has anxiety or they're general messages that I want to convey to anybody who has OCD, kids and teens. And so I will give examples. And sometimes I'll give examples that are not related to that child, but they're helping the child understand the concept of what I'm talking about. So if I'm talking about how OCD lies to you and tells you, you have to do things, I might use a couple of different examples that's helpful to kids. And it is helpful because of all the different reasons why I've already outlined. And they're going to be able to catch those themes. I had one girl who was coming to me for one theme. I'm trying to remember what she was actually coming for. Trying to think. I think it was moral OCD. And then all of a sudden she started having a totally different theme. And she was like, yeah, I think it was symmetry OCD. She was like, yeah, I think I have symmetry OCD. And I was like, well, what is that? What do you think that is? Because I just, I didn't know if she knew what that was. And she's like, yeah, I'm balancing things from one side to the other side. I have to touch my cup with one hand, then the other. If I bump my leg, I have to bump my other leg. She's like, so I'm starting to do exposures on that. So I'm bumping one leg, but not the other. I'm trying to imbalance myself. And I was like, wow, that's impressive. Between two sessions, she's already identified a new theme and she's working on it without me because she was aware that that was an OCD theme. And that's what education does. It makes kids proactive and working on their own stuff eventually if they're wanting to. But even if they don't want to, planting those seeds is super important. So I hope that helps you kind of see the pros and cons of telling your child if they have anxiety or OCD and reading books and videos and documentaries about anxiety and OCD. I hope that that helps normalize things for your child. And I hope that helps you feel compelled to, to do those things because really, otherwise you're eventually going to do them because there's going to come a time where things are a little out of control and you're going to have to. And I would say, why not just be proactive and do that stuff right from the get go and do it right and do it well. So just my opinion, but you know, 20 years of clinical experience and raising three kids with anxiety and OCD, having that behind me, that's my opinion. So I hope that you are finding the podcast helpful. I hope you're finding that you're getting some education and some support and guidance from the podcast. If you're enjoying it, don't forget to hit a star on, I don't know, they keep changing. So I think Google Play still exists, but then it's, is it iTunes now or it's Apple, Apple Podcasts? I think it's Apple Podcasts. Wherever you consume your podcast, if you can hit a star and if you can leave a review, I greatly appreciate that. That really helps. I wanted to say thanks to TC 
Tracy, and I'm probably mispronouncing that, but they wrote Misophonia podcast. Thank you so much for this info. I thought I was going crazy listening to my husband of 44 years eating cereal. (laughs) He had developed throat issues and chokes and gags his way through a huge bowl of cereal, maybe two. I have to leave the room because of my rage feelings. Your ideas of removing myself or using AirPods are excellent. This is such new research, and I totally understand my reactions to these noises. I told him he typed way too hard a couple of years ago. Thank you so much. And she's talking about misophonia, which I did a podcast on. And thank you for leaving a review. It's very relieving. Actually, that's an interesting review to read during this episode because she didn't know what she had. She didn't know she had misophonia. And so when you don't know you have that, which happened to me as well, I didn't know I had that. And you feel guilty. You feel guilty about wanting to clobber the person making that noise because you don't realize that you're having, that your limbic system is actually having a rage response based on that sound, which we won't go into because that's a whole other podcast. But when she found out what it was and there's research around it, she felt better. She felt validated. And then there's a solution for it too. It's like, okay, I can, I can do this. It's not me. There's nothing wrong with me. Other people have this problem. So thank you for leaving that review. I appreciate it. And if you leave a review, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. So I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.